Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello, Six Packers, and welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode number four. The title of today's episode is, How is Your Financial Health? This episode is recorded right after the government shutdown of 2019 ended. That shutdown lasted 35 days, the longest shutdown in history. Most of the government workers who were furloughed had to borrow money to survive. That's simply inexcusable. Not because of the hardships brought on by the shutdown, but because these people should have been financially prepared. Catholics should learn how to use biblical principles to protect themselves from such unforeseen hardships. I'll tell you what I mean right after this. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. The Seventh Commandment says, You shall not steal. One of the many things this commandment forbids is living beyond our means. Living beyond our means is a form of theft. Why? Well, because it's an injustice to yourself, your family, and your creditors. And with very rare exception in America, most people live beyond their means. And with very rare exception in America, most people live beyond their means as the shutdown so vividly demonstrated. People tell me they're doing the best they can with the income they have. Well, I disagree. I don't believe it for a minute. People who say that are just lying to themselves. They tell themselves they absolutely have to have the things they're paying for, when in reality they don't need most of those things at all. I hear and see it all the time, but by simply following basic Old Testament biblical principles, they can completely turn their financial picture around. Let's take a look at a few statistics. The average American non-real estate debt is $36,700, with the average loan debt being $4,400. And an average credit card debt, not counting interest, is $21,200. My question to all Americans, but most especially to Catholics, is why? Why on earth would you want to do that? Look, I understand having a mortgage because you're financing an asset, 
In other words, what you're paying for now will make a net profit when you one day sell your home. But why do you have credit card debt and auto loans? As a rule of thumb, it's okay to finance an asset, but it's never acceptable to finance a liability. Here's an example. Using hypothetical round figures, here's what happens when you finance a car. Let's say you borrow money to buy a new car for $35,000. That's the average cost of a new car in this country. The moment the front tires of that car hit the street and leave the dealership, that $35,000 car is now worth $29,000. On top of that, you're going to pay $5,000 in interest for the car, which means you drive off the lot with a $35,000 car that's already cost you $11,000. And the car only depreciates in value as it ages, which means you're doing nothing more than flushing tons of money down the toilet. Worse yet, the majority of Americans finance a new car within a year after paying off the old car. But you can avoid this. If you feel you must have a new car, and I personally believe a used car will usually suffice, the attitude you must adopt is that if you can't pay cash for your car, you don't need it. You might complain that you can't afford to do that. Well, that's really not true. We bought our last new car 15 years ago, and it's in great shape. Oh, and we paid cash. The average car payment is around $630 a month. Imagine if you had an extra $630 a month you could set aside in your savings account. That would be an annual increase in savings of $7,560 a year. Let's talk credit card debt. Like I said, if you're an average American, you maintain a balance on your credit cards of $21,200. People don't buy groceries or pay utility bills with credit cards. They use their debit cards for that, which means it comes right out of their checking account. People use credit cards for things they can't otherwise afford at the moment. They're driven by their desires rather than common sense. Why do people do that? Well, the problem is most Americans have no self-discipline or an understanding of the benefits of self-denial. If you want to get out from under credit card debt, cut up your credit cards and ask yourself one question before you buy anything. Do I really need this? If the answer is yes, then pay cash. Stereotypes of races are usually based on bigotry, but there's one stereotype that has some basis in fact. Jews have the reputation of being frugal people who amass wealth. Well, there's a reason for that. From the very beginning of their religion, they followed the Ten Commandments and Mosaic Law. By doing so, they established the good financial habits of what we call biblical principles today. Most Americans think they have to have what they really don't need at all. Let's take smartphones, for example. Why on earth do you need a smartphone, including all the costs for provider plans, when a simple flip phone will do the trick, or even a track phone? Smartphones are especially insane for children, but that's an entirely different discussion because of the growing epidemic of pornography usage among children. Watches, trinkets, and constant additions to wardrobes are also things where Americans waste a tremendous amount of money. The list could go on and on. Here's the most important things all Americans should realize. Nobody owes you a living. Nobody can guarantee you an income. 
not the federal government, not the state government, no one. Everything you have can be taken away from you at any time. The reason the vast majority of federal employees suffered so badly during the shutdown was because they expected their checks to always be there. But their checks weren't, and they weren't prepared. They should have been prepared, though, and you should be, too. Everyone should have at least six months of living expenses set aside before ever even considering spending money on something extra. What I'm telling you are things that I've practiced for years, but I never dreamed how necessary those saving and spending habits would be. We had an investment counselor who spent 10 years convincing me he was my best friend. About five years ago, this man was arrested for stealing from two banks and five of his clients. We happened to be one of those clients, and he wiped us out to the tune of roughly a half million dollars. Despite that he could have received a lesser prison sentence by returning the money he stole, he absolutely refused. So we lost everything. Fortunately, we had paid cash for our home and car, so we at least had a place to live and a way to get around. But if we had had a mortgage, car loan, and credit card debt the way most people have, we'd be homeless right now. Even though we've had to start over financially, which is really difficult to do when you're elderly such as we are, at least we haven't gone down for the count. Today, we live on $1,984 a month. That's it. But we do quite well, all things considered. This should show you that the very same thing can happen to you that happened to us. Do yourself a favor and read Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. It's widely interspersed with Mosaic Law on how money should be handled. You'll also learn a lot about simple justice and how to productively deal with others, as well as how to build a stronger personal character. Again, before you spend your next penny, ask yourself if you really need what you're thinking about buying. That includes all things. Buying something using the justification that it only costs a dollar is actually a slow and certain route to the poorhouse because all those just a dollars add up. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is a welcome visitor to parishes across the United States every Sunday through his What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Using humor, immutable truth, and ignoring political correctness, Joe Sixpack helps the average Catholic in the pew better know and understand our holy and ancient faith in a way that is refreshing, awe-inspiring, and makes readers chest-pounding proud to be Catholic. And readers love it. Now you can enjoy Joe's work by getting the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It book series. In fact, get two copies of each book, one for yourself and one for your pastor. Then your priest can decide if he wants to help your fellow parishioners by subscribing to the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Get your copy of the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Only a fool believes the Catholic Church isn't in shambles. Christ's Church is full of scandal. Our current pontiff is in blatant heresy, and the laity live in a perpetual state of confusion. But there's hope. There are still a handful of bishops we can count on for orthodox leadership, priests who love and work for souls, 
and lady-led apostolates that serve divinely revealed truth in every way imaginable. We want to do a great service for you by telling you about them in every episode. So here's today's Catholic Contribution. Today's Catholic Contributor is the Marian Catechist Apostolate. The Marian Catechist Apostolate was founded by Father John A. Hardin, whose cause for canonization is pending. St. John Paul II was the first to call for a new evangelization in response to the loss of faith of God in our time. He said that the work of the new evangelization is to proclaim the good news in such a way as to lead to faith in Jesus Christ by means of the transformation of their hearts. Father Hardin was responding to this call for a new evangelization when he founded the Marian Catechist Apostolate. In the early 80s, Pope John Paul II lamented the fact that so many people were living and dying without knowledge of Jesus Christ. One of the actions he took to reverse this dismal trend was to ask St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta to prepare her sisters in the missionaries of charity, not only to care for the immediate material needs of the poor, but also to evangelize them, to teach them about God's immeasurable love for them and about his desire to be united with them in heaven for all eternity. Mother Teresa turned to Father Hardin for the help she needed to prepare her sisters to evangelize the poorest of the poor. Father Hardin was an eminent theologian and master catechist, the author of over 40 major works of theology, spirituality, and catechesis, and one of the world's most respected authorities on the Catholic faith. At the time he began to teach the missionaries of charity, he also began to prepare the text that would eventually become a set of home study courses used to teach the richness of the Catholic faith and its practice to the lay faithful. Today, the missionaries of charity, along with countless lay members of the church, use Father Hardin's course to prepare themselves to be effective witnesses of the faith to all they need. In time, Father Hardin established the Marian Catechist Apostolate to form catechists, both spiritually and doctrinally, for the teaching of the faith. Father Hardin was elated when his eminence Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke, then Bishop of La Crosse, Wisconsin, decided to use Father Hardin's home study courses to form catechists in his diocese. Several years later, on December 12, 1999, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, then Bishop Burke established the Marian Catechist Apostolate as a public association of the lay faithful. The Apostolate has been placed under the patronage of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the patroness of all America. Shortly before Father Hardin died on December 30, 2000, he asked Cardinal Burke to assume leadership of the Apostolate. Cardinal Burke accepted and remains today the Episcopal Moderator and International Director of the Marian Catechist Apostolate. Father Hardin was a friend of mine. He was the greatest English-speaking theologian alive at that time, and he was one of only five people in the world who could go to the Vatican unannounced and have a private audience with John Paul II. Father Hardin told me his dream for the Marian Catechist Apostolate was that he could build an army of catechists to evangelize souls. So that's what the Marian Catechist Apostolate does. 
If you want to consider getting involved in sharing the Catholic faith, please consider becoming a member of the Marian Catechist Apostolate, which makes an incredible Catholic contribution. And you can always contact me to help you learn the faith better or teach you how to share the faith. Just go to cantankerouscatholic.com and shoot me an email. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. This is an anecdote from my own life. Once when one of my sons was about six years old, I had an experience with him that taught him a lesson he never forgot. My sons were always very well behaved. They never feared me, but still obeyed me immediately and without complaint. It was very rare that I ever had to spank them, but one time my second oldest son became very stubborn and refused to obey me. I can't even remember what it was he was being so obstinate about, but he simply refused to do as he'd been told. I spanked him and spanked him and spanked him repeatedly, but he just became increasingly obstinate. It had reached a point that I came to realize that if I didn't break his will on this particular issue, I could lose him forever. The way I'd normally punish bad behavior with my sons was to first have a talk with them, then send them to get the paddle I'd made for that purpose, because I'd learned that the fear of a spanking was actually worse than the spanking itself. Consequently, when I'd send them to get the paddle, there was always a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth. My son had become so defiant over this one particular issue, though, that when I sent him for the paddle, he silently went to get it and hurried back with it. He didn't merely hand it to me, but rather thrust it out to me with all the defiance a little six-year-old boy could muster. I took the paddle from him and said, Son, this is going to be the hardest spanking I've ever given. Now turn around, bend over, and hold your ankle. As my little son grabbed his ankles, I drew back far so I could strike with great force. The paddle came down quickly and with a loud thwack. He jerked and shuddered. The paddle swung downward again. Thwack! He shuddered again. As the third swat came down, he realized he wasn't feeling anything. Without standing upright, he looked back behind himself to see me hitting myself on the leg with the paddle so hard that blood was seeping through my trousers. My son suddenly stood upright and wrapped himself around my leg, placing himself between my leg and the paddle. He was sobbing and crying out, I'm sorry, Daddy, I'm sorry. Please don't do this. I'll behave, I promise. I don't recall ever having to spank him again after that, ever in his life. Never forget what our redemption cost Jesus, who himself accepted the falling blows of God's just anger and took our punishment himself instead. He's a perfectly merciful God, but his mercy can only be perfect if it's balanced by perfect justice. As I had explained to my son, when we do something wrong, a price has to be paid. Because I'm a father who loves his son, I couldn't bear to give him the punishment he deserved, so I took it myself. That's what Jesus did for us, and each time we commit sin, we're spitting in his face, spitting on him on the cross, and telling him we don't love him. I'll see you next time, Six Packers. And remember, comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack. 
The Every Catholic Guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.